Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Ian, we had a pretty good week this week, you and I, because neither one of us got our predictions wrong. That's right, it's the Denver Broncos bye week. Uh, I would say that's better than pretty good, given how we've been going this season. It's the closest we've been to perfection, that's for sure. You know how they say you uh, you never hit, uh, well, how does the saying go, uh, you you, str- you miss every shot you don't take? Well, we, we probably should stop taking shots because we miss all the shots we do take as well. I would say it, anything that we predict it usually goes the opposite, so we'll just predict Broncos losses for the next seven games. We can handle that, right? We can do that for everyone. That's a that's a playoff run right there. That's what that is. So uh, I'm I'm cool with that. So I have to say something. I'm sitting here. I was just looking at Ian's shirt, and uh, I thought it was Gary Shandling for a second. It's not. It's Lionel Richie. But it is impressive how their silhouettes are so similar. I, I just. I beg of you to go check that out. Gary Shandling and Lionel Richie from the 80s, both of them, their silhouettes, almost identical. And the reason I'm wearing this shirt is it's because it's the first gift my wife ever gave to me because she knows how much of a Lionel Richie fan I am. All night long. All night long. (laughs) Popped it out there and expected it to perform. I'll bet you did. Uh, (laughs) Let's let's go ahead. We're going to do something a little different. Normally, this is our, our... recap right this is our game recap the broncos will have played a game and and either won or lost uh, and then we would talk about it but we don't have a broncos game to talk about and so we're going to talk about uh some some of the games around the league and then we're going to get into our state of the uh state of the franchise interview that we did with mhr radio favorite andrew mason so uh let's start though with our recap uh because you had you brought up something that you wanted to talk about beforehand and I think we should just jump into it. And it, it's perfect because it, it comes from a game that all Broncos country cares about, and that's the LOL Chiefs losing to the Tennessee Titans. And as a Broncos fan, we don't know what it's like to lose to the Titans since the Broncos shut the Titans out. So I guess chalk one up to the Chiefs. They're pulling the LOL a little bit early. So if have you ever seen those memes, the, the sort of the – like the Miami Dolphins beat this team, and uh, then this team beat this team, and then this team beat this team, and then this team beat this team, and uh, and then the the Ravens beat the the Patriots. Uh, therefore, the Dolphins are better than the Patriots. Did you see that one recently that came out? So the Broncos beat the Titans, who lost to who who beat the Chiefs. So the Broncos are better than the Chiefs. I think that's science. It is science, and it it was a fun game to watch, especially the last two minutes or so. Because yeah. you had the Chiefs storm down the field and get the touchdown for the lead. And then the Titans, with Ryan Tannehill, proceeded to, to drive down the field and get the touchdown. And I, I think before we get into the, the tie-in to the Broncos, that, that I think is so – it's just – when you hear it, you're going to realize, man, I wish, that would, I wish the Broncos would have something like that. But the game itself – indicated again how horrible Andy Reid is in game and time management. Yeah, I mean he he proves every every season he has not one, not two, but I would I would venture to say at least 3 games that he himself costs his team as the head coach and as Vance Joseph uh was wont to do in Denver, uh he would often make bad choices that would cause the Broncos to lose a game. And, and I know that that's, that just brings back bad memories for a lot of us. But Andy Reid is is like the guru of that. Andy Reid is the worst – how do I want to say this? Is he the best worst head coach or the worst best head coach in, in NFL history? Like, let's face it. He puts together a pretty incredible offense. He always has, and, and I believe he always will. He understands the way offenses work for the most part. But he has 
zero concept of time management, zero understanding of actual in-game decision-making. And you would think after however many decades he's been in the NFL, he would have figured some of these basic NFL concepts out, and he hasn't done it. And it's it's comical. It is it is comical to watch him make the same mistakes over and over and over again. To tie into your best worst coach or worst best coach, I think he's the most overrated coach in the history of the National Football League. And I'll actually take it a step further. If he's not the most overrated coach in the history of professional sports, he's close. I mean, I, I think there's a coach that comes close, and that's Marty Schottenheimer. If you think about Marty Schottenheimer, he would win all the time, but he could never win in the playoffs, and that's in part because of John Elway. I was say, that's John Elway that does that. That's not. That's almost just mean to Marty. You know, poor Marty has a John Elway complex. I bet he still, uh, you know, <laughs> like gets the night sweats because of John Elway. But the reason that that this Titans game against the Chiefs, their their thirty five thirty two win over the Chiefs is so significant, it's because of what happened after the game. Tennessee tackled Taylor Lewin in the locker room after the game, and he sent a tweet out. If you follow him at Taylor, if you go to his Twitter account, at TaylorLewin77, he tweeted, incredible win for the boys today. I am so sorry to my teammates and the fans for my penalties. It's not intentional, but it's killing drives. And it, and it is absolute BS by me. I will work my ass off to make it better. Now imagine that the current tackle for the Denver Broncos had a similar reaction. Only he doesn't. He has never done that. He will never do that because it's always someone else's fault. He doesn't he doesn't take the onus on himself. He doesn't even know that he needs to get better. He doesn't get it. That's the type of self-recognition that Garrett Bowles needs to have and will never have. And I, I just when I hear that, it is so refreshing to hear a guy in a win when he saw his team pull off a miracle win, another Tennessee miracle to hear him have that kind of self-awareness and awareness for the team that it's that it is costing his team even if it's not he is still stepping up to the plate and saying you know what i have to be better imagine what that does to the rest of that locker room instead of pointing the finger or even not acknowledging that you're doing it i wish garrett bulls had that self-awareness but he doesn't because he's horrible. That's a solid Ian St. Clair rant right there brought to you by MHR Radio. Uh, You're not wrong because it is one of those things where you like a guy to uh, own his mistakes, right? When When you are the problem or when you are a part of the problem, the first thing you have to do is recognize you're a part of the problem and own that and say, you know what, I have to be better. And Garrett Bowles, I, I think that the big issue with Garrett Bowles, and, and we've talked about this, and I, I still believe that this is his problem, is he's not a football player. He is not a football player. He's a he's a big he's a big guy. He's just a big, strong guy who has been able to use his size and his power to his advantage throughout his entire career, at least before he got to the NFL. And then when he got to the NFL, what did he discover? That you can't just be big and strong. You have to actually work to get better at the game. And you have to understand the concepts that go into playing a position like left tackle that is, I think, a lot more skill-based than people give it credit for. He doesn't have the skills. He doesn't have the footwork. He doesn't have the hand work. He he doesn't know where to place his hands. And this is coming from a novice. Look, I, I get it. I, I never played offensive line. I never wanted to play offensive line. It's the reason I didn't play football be, when I was in high school because I was one of the big guys and I didn't want to have to play on the line. I just didn't want to do it. So 
I, I get it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm probably the furthest thing from someone who understands how to play on the offensive line. But I guarantee you, I can tell you all of the mistakes that he makes because he makes them so often that they're constantly being pointed out. And then he doesn't ever say, yeah, that's my fault. Instead, he says, I, I don't know why they're looking at me. I'll never forget that. He said, I don't know why they're looking at me all the time. Dude, because you're holding all the time. Dude, because you're not good. Because you're not getting better. This is on you. Maybe he takes ownership when he's in the locker room with his teammates. But when you put it out in the media, and I think that's the point you're making here. When you put it out in the media, when you say it to the fans, and you say it to the, the people who come and watch and buy the merchandise and pay your paycheck, when you say it to them, they will support you as long as it looks like you're trying to get better. I don't see that from Garrett Bowles. And you made the point in our last show, this is the countdown, right? We are on the countdown to the final game of Garrett Bowles' career in Denver. And I, I really hope that at the end of the season, we can just all wash our hands of the situation. He can move on and maybe find success somewhere else, but it, it won't be with Denver. And, and that's fine. Let's move on. Can I hold you to that? <laughs> oh, I see. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. You're going to create a, a penalty pun. A penalty pun. I like that. I do like that. Uh, yes, you could. You could really grab onto one of those jokes if you needed to, uh, and just not let go of it. I I'm definitely not going to hold on loosely to that one. <sighs> yeah, I mean. That's are those back to back rants? Is that what we just got there? Mine was a little shorter than yours, but you got to double up the rants. Back to back rants, yeah, back to back rants. That's uh, we should get uh, extra runs for that or something. What's interesting after the at least the AFC West portion of the Week Ten schedule is the Kansas City Chiefs sit atop the standings with a six and four record, right? But right behind them. After their win over the Los Angeles Chargers on Thursday night football, is the Oakland Raiders, and I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. I'll bet you. But did. I would, I will say something I never thought I would say. I would prefer the Oakland Raiders win the AFC West over the Patrick Mahomes led uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Wow, right? Wow, that's it. look. Uh, is there like a breaking news thing that I can like do breaking news? I, I mean, that is pretty crazy. I, I, I don't know. You know how I feel about Kansas City and their fan base at this point. I am I am well past the point of ever wanting them to do anything good. So, uh, yeah, I'm torn on that one. I would I, I don't know which way I would go. My hatred for the Raiders is so deep, but my hatred for the Chiefs is also quite deep. So. Uh, is is there what is the next best option here? I I do love it when the Chiefs get into the playoffs and then lose. There's just there is something satisfying about that, right? It, it, that's kind of fun. Yeah, because it keeps them from winning the trophy named after their owner. Right. But what else keeps them from winning the trophy named after their owner is not winning the division. That that does help. That does help. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about that one for a little bit. I want to talk about a different game though. I want to I want to get away from the AFC West. I want to stay in the AFC. And well, I want to talk about two games. One, I want to mention the Saints are not the best team in the NFL. We'll move on from that. <laughs> Considering I forgot about them uh, in our last show, but then they went ahead and proved yeah. they're they're they they're not. They lost to the Falcons. I win. All right. But I want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens and I want to talk about Lamar Jackson and I, I want to talk about how that is why can't Denver get a quarterback like Lamar Jackson why is it that the the Denver Broncos why is John Elway so um set on a specific type of quarterback when the league really does seem to be sort of skewing in a direction where it is an advantage to have a quarterback that can run and throw at the same time. Lamar Jackson is is perhaps your MVP this year at this point by just by looking at the way that he plays. And I created a meme. I don't use, usually do that, but I created a fun meme. And uh, I it was that picture of Lamar Jackson with the glasses, the shades on at the game today. And it said, uh, running back level elite because of his quotes about, uh, you know, 
I guess I guess it's pretty good for a running back. Yeah, pretty good for a running back. Dude's dude's on fire. Why can't Denver get a quarterback like that? Why? And in terms of what we usually do for the post-game recap, to me that's the big takeaway for me is the Ravens are a legitimate contender in the AFC. Now, I'm not going to get carried away because they played the Bungles. True. But the way that they completely dominated that game and the way Lamar Jackson is playing, they're on a roll right now. And as for the Saints, well, I think Well, wait a minute. You- Let's not forget, they didn't just dominate the Bengals. They dominated the Patriots last week. They did. This, is, a, was, this is what we call a trend. That was fun to watch. Yes, it was. So in I'm terms sorry. Of, in terms of Drew Brees and the Saints, I think this is one of those games that serves as a wake-up call. Because the Saints were coming off of a bye, and the Falcons are trash. That's true. Garbage. And they and they came in wanting to to prove something to Dan Quinn. I, I think Dan Quinn is on the hot seat, and I, I think the Falcons wanted to play for him. They wanted to give owner Arthur Blank a little more evidence that maybe Dan Quinn can do this. We'll see. But in terms of the Saints, I think that I think this is one of those games that can serve as a wake up call. Sure. I, you know what? I actually just looked ahead in the schedule to see if maybe they were looking ahead in the schedule uh, to their next opponent, and their next opponent is uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I can't imagine that they were that they were you know chopping at the bit for for next Sunday and forgot about this Sunday because let's face it, the Buccaneers are also somewhat garbage. Uh, they did beat the Cardinals today, but it's not like they are uh, setting houses on fire. The the Godwin Evans tandem at wide receiver is the best tandem uh, wide receiver tandem in in football, but beyond that, they're really not that good. So I don't think it was a, a an issue with the Saints looking past their opponent so much as just not even looking at their opponent because it was a a, a trash team. And I think you make a good point. I think the Falcons like their head coach. And they wanted to to make a statement about keeping him around. I think the the team the other team that I think is quietly showing that it is going to be a force to be reckoned with is the Green Bay Packers. The way that I mean, obviously, you're always going to be in contention with Aaron Rodgers. He he does things that I haven't seen a quarterback do since John Elway. The way that the, just the gun that he has and the athleticism and the way that he's able to throw off of the run is incredible. It is so fun to watch Aaron Rodgers. But the way they're able to run the football, the way that they were able to just basically manhandle the, Car- the Carolina Panthers front with Gerald McCoy and uh, Don Terry Poe was quite impressive, which is how you're going to, it's how you win. In the playoffs, and I think they also, for the first time in a couple of seasons, have a defense again. So I, the NFC is going to be fun to see how it plays out. You have the 49ers, you have the Seahawks, you have the Vikings and the Cowboys who are playing on Sunday night football. You have the Eagles, you have the Packers, the Saints. It is a loaded conference. Yes, While is. the AFC is... I think two teams right now, the Patriots and the Ravens. Yeah, I, I, I do. I agree with you. It's the Patriots and the Ravens. And, and right now, because of the way the Ravens are playing, it's really it's really the Ravens. And I know that the Patriots are 8-1, and one, but they have also not played anybody. And, and the first team that they played that was actually any good was the Ravens, and they lost to them. So uh, it is kind of an interesting spot for the AFC to be in, where I think the clear-cut favorite from the AFC – is not the Patriots right now. I think it's the Ravens. That's my opinion, and I feel pretty good about it. So, all right, what else do we need to get to before we jump into our uh, our interview with Andrew Mason? I think it's just uh, for the listeners who listen to the Cecil Lammy podcast. It, it is so fun to get the di- different opinions and perspectives from people who cover the team, but also know what they're talking about and are fun to listen to and. I, I really enjoyed the the podcast with Cecil. Hopefully we can get him on again. But Mace, and we'll get into this when we talk with him, it is so fun to hear free Mace. Oh, yeah. Since he's moved on from the Broncos and is now with, with Denver, DNVR, it is so incredible that he is – he that free Mace is the best Mace. It's a, it's a good way to say it. I do want to point out, and and if you did listen to the Cecil Lammy 
episode, I want people to notice how really I think Mace and Lammy kind of come to some of the same conclusions, but they take totally different paths. It's really fascinating that they both kind of arrive at the same location when it comes to how they feel about this Denver Broncos team. Uh, but the the directions that they go are, are, are very different, and it, it's kind of fun to listen to. And we're glad to welcome in one of our favorite guests and a friend of the show, Andrew Mason. You can follow him at Mace Denver. And if you've seen something run around on social media, it's it's free Mace. And we <laughs> joked before we started recording, it's kind of like the scene in Free Willy where the whale jumps over the kid, but it's Broncos country that's standing on the wall. And we're all excited about Mace being free, so to speak. So Mace, thank you for coming back on the show. And and coming coming on with us to talk about the state of the franchise and and where the the Broncos are heading into their Week Ten bye. My pleasure. I just hope this is not the uh, Free Willy director's cut from The Simpsons, where <laughs> Willie jumps over the wall but he doesn't make it. If you guys are on the wall, Willie ends up crushing the kid in the, in what Homer watches, and he says sadly, "Oh, I hate this new director's cut." <laughs> No, I think we'll I think we'll be okay. I have a feeling you'll you'll make the jump, and I think it'll be just fine. Now yeah. you're with the you're with the is it the Denver now? Den, Den, Denver Den, the the dnvr.com and uh, just uh, dnvr is uh, how we're branding. It's sort of it's sort of uh, I, the way I kind of view it is by saying it, it's like saying call letters for a station. You know, instead oh. of say KUSA or um, KDVR, it's it's DNVR. So, I just thought maybe uh, you didn't have enough money to buy a vowel. I wasn't sure. Oh man, man, no, no. We're actually we're not at that. We're not at the can't buy a vowel. We actually uh, uh, just uh, just brought one of our interns to full time, so we just had a new hire on our uh, on our creative side, and um, had a very good month in terms of subscri- subscriptions. And of course, now we have daily podcasts going for the Broncos and the Nuggets and the Rockies and the uh, Avalanche. We've also got pods going for the uh, buffs and uh, CSU Rams, so uh, trying to uh, cover the entire uh, Denver sports scene. But the Broncos, it's kind of the flagship, and that's just, that's sort of the way we operate. And, and our traffic numbers kind of bear that out. The Broncos, even in a bad season, are still what's driving quite a bit. And that cool. ties into why the Broncos are always king, so to speak. But the last mm-hmm. three years have been a struggle. Where do you see the Broncos right now? The state of the franchise. <laughs> in their week 10 by. Okay. Well, let's start with a positive on the defensive side, Vic Fangio and what he's brought. I think it's been as advertised and we're seeing that borne out. Um, frankly, after talking to Bradley Chubb last night out as, at his event, getting an update on where he stands in terms of his recovery from the ACL injury, uh, I'm looking at where this defense could be a year from now if they get Chubb back as expected, but they invest some of that cap space in retaining Chris Harris Jr. And obviously they've got to kind of mend some fences there to do that. Uh, Justin Simmons and uh, even Derek Wolf would kind of be the, the least of the contracts, maybe a very team friendly contract probably. But this D it's amazing how it's looking with a, players getting used to in general and be uh, a more athletic presence at inside linebacker with Alexander Johnson coming in. It's changed everything. Todd Davis is playing better in coverage, doing more things, more effective because he's got Alexander Johnson playing with his hair on fire next to him. And as a result, while the the D it's not in the San Francisco, New England class, those two, I think are going to lap the field as far as their defensive play this year. It's playing in, at a high level. So now I start looking at the team building and saying, okay, I can see a light here. I can see a way out of it. But a key is going to be getting the quarterback position right. And you get a look at Brandon Allen, that's well and good, but you got to find out about Drew Locke. You've got, unless you win the next two games, highly unlikely, but unless you win those next two, you've got to just swallow your pride, accept there'll be some mistakes, You've got to get Drew Locke out there for the last five games, so starting with that Chargers game, and start learning what you have in him because 
I think the best equation for this team to get back to contention, it's to follow the Seattle blueprint of the early to mid 2010s when they invested heavily in the D and they drafted Russell Wilson and they rode that cost controlled quarterback to success. And then a few years down the line, you had to invest in Russell Wilson and to let some of those defensive players go. That's an inevitability, but you see what they did then, what the bills are doing right now in terms of getting back to relevance, which is they with, with Josh Allen, they were able to spend on the D spend on the O line and they're, they look like they're building something that is certainly headed in the right direction. I think we're talking about a team that can actually, over the next couple of years, challenge the Patriots in the AFC East, legitimately challenge them and challenge them year in and year out, which is something we haven't been able to say. So the Broncos, because they looks like they've got the defensive part of it right, the key then becomes, okay, who's your young quarterback? And if it's not Drew Locke, don't pass on a quarterback next spring that you like because you have because you have drew lock so if you're keen on justin herbert find a way to get justin herbert i'm more of a joe burrow guy myself if they love joe Joe burrow but they have to move up in the draft to do it go ahead and do it accept the cost in terms of draft capital because really as this team is going there are a few other needs beyond quarterback but you can get a left tackle in free agency if you have to you can find uh, a speed receiver even on day two there were plenty of guys available last year there'll be some good options available in round two and round three this year but this team i think there's a light at the end of the tunnel but the light ends up being getting the quarterback position right with a young guy because it seems like you've got a lot of other things on the roster that are trending in the direction you need them to to be a contender again if you get a young quarterback so it, it seems to all hinge on on the quarterback situation. Is that is that correct? As always, and it's the hardest single element. It's the one thing that, unfortunately, John Elway has not been able to get right since Peyton Manning's retirement. So that said, if he does manage to get this right in the next year or so, all the sins of the past are forgotten. I mean, if he if John Elway wants to wants to shape his legacy. He's got to nail what happens at quarterback here over the next eight months, whether it's a, a Drew Locke being more than we've seen so far and being the long-term answer or simply saying, okay, it's a quarterback rich draft. We're probably looking at a top 10 pick. And even if we have to trade up, making sure we get a guy, don't sit there. Don't get jumped like you did in 2018 when you like Sam Darnold, but the Jets were the team that was proactive. And I know the Jets have struggled, but there are a lot of other reasons for the struggle. But they did like Sam Darnold. If they felt that strongly about Sam Darnold, they should have gone up and made the play. So if they feel strong about Joe Burrow, about Justin Herbert, I don't think they're going to feel that strongly about Tua Tagovailoa, even though he's got a lot of attributes. But if they feel strongly about Herbert or Burrow, they say, they say this can be a franchise guy. Just commit to him. Go get him and put him in the starting lineup. Jake Fromm is another name I keep my eye on if he ends up coming out as well as someone the Broncos could look at. Does the play and the way that Rich Stangarello was able to to set up his game plan for Brandon Allen, does that lead you to what could potentially happen for Drew Locke and the success that he could potentially have or what he could flash in those five games if he's able to play as he should be, as we all hope? It depends on how far Drew Locke has come in terms of his footwork and in terms of uh, handling the nomenclature of the offense. Uh, When you're working under center and you have more complex play calls than you've had over the course of your football life, these are things that when you're going into the West Coast scheme, you've got to adjust to. And if Drew Locke is having issues, it's probably in those two areas in terms of getting the play call out, complex calls. Certainly, it's not every offense is like that. You've basically got like some seven, eight, nine-word play calls in the West Coast nomenclature. Uh, you've got three-word play calls, for example, in what the Patriots do. It's just one. It's just a difference schematically between these two sets of offenses. So he's got to learn that. And the footwork, I think, is key because 
a lot of his accuracy issues at Mizzou uh, stemmed from inconsistent footwork. And now you have to throw in uh, the drop back element to that because the Broncos do want to operate uh, from under center more than a lot of other teams. I think if they really wanted to help Drew Locke out in the short term and, and get him up to speed, that uh, they would go more shotgun than under center. So if they do get Drew Locke out there, uh, in, whether it's in week 13 or uh, if they kick that can down the road to week 16, what I'd like to see is how much they do in terms of shotgun compared to under center because if they want Locke to get settled and get comfortable and really show his potential immediately, I think they need to not jam the square peg in the round hole and they need to tweak some things. And look, we've seen how this scheme can be tweaked for a quarterback skill set. Look at the example of Washington back in 2012 when they had RG3 and Mike and Kyle Shanahan reshuffled the offense to fit RG3's skill set at that point and had a terrific season. So it can be adapted. It can be done. The question is, would the Broncos do that for Drew Locke? Because if you want to find out what he's got, you need to play to his strengths a little bit, even though it's not strictly what you want to do in this offensive scheme. Play to that, tweak it, play to his strengths, and then then you'll get a more honest assessment at Drew Locke's potential. I liked uh, almost everything you said there. The only thing I was unsure of, and I want to ask you about this, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned kicking the can down on Drew Locke to week 16. A at that point, is it even worth it? To, to throw him out there for the last two games, which uh, would probably be meaningless games. I think if, the, if that's the scenario, they're, they're games that aren't going to count toward anything really other than draft position. Is, is it worth throwing him out there for two games? Are you really going to get enough from him to really know what you have and if it's something that you're uh, going to take into account going into the draft in 2020? It's better than nothing, but in my estimation, it wouldn't be enough. I think you need a, I'm thinking you need five games to really get a feel for him because then you get a chance to say, okay, teams are studying the film. He's making some, they're making corrections to what they do based off the film. They're tweaking their defensive game plans to his strengths. So what's your counter move to that? If they really want to find out that, well, it would have been nice to have had him out there now, but that's sailed away. So where do you go from here? If you, really, if you want to get a good idea, it needs to be the Chargers game. Um, if you put him out there against Detroit, what you're basically saying is we're going to get him some experience, get his feet wet. But I would say, unfortunately, it may take them out of the quarterback mix in 2020 because two games I don't think would be enough to evaluate. And they may be looking at yet another stopgap. I think if he's out there for week 16 and 17 only, as much as I hate to say this, the notion of bringing Joe Flacco back for 2020 may be something the Broncos pursue. And even though I think most people in Broncos country, based on taking the temperature of the fan base I have, you guys have, clearly wouldn't want to see that. I will I say, somebody tweeted at me uh, that uh, 2020 Joe Flacco is the best path to 2021 Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I'm just saying, I really like that idea. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can watch Joe Flacco for another year. I don't um, think I can either. He, if if we're making analogies, he looked like a horse that needed to be sent to the glue factory. Ooh. Just didn't, just looked done. Looked, and I think you look back on it and you know, John Elway gets up there and says they think he's entering his prime. Again, how do you look at Joe Flacco the last four years and say he's entering his prime? They're also, the Broncos had the thought that their scheme would get Joe Flacco back to 2014, that they that Baltimore was doing something wrong. That's kind of the implication, that Baltimore was handling Joe Flacco wrong, but we get him in our scheme and what we're doing, and he's going to be a lot better. Looking back on that, and I even thought this at the time, eh, you kind of, you're saying that Baltimore is doing this wrong? Baltimore is one of the smartest organizations in football. And we're seeing now what they're doing with Lamar Jackson. This is a team that knows what it has talent-wise and knows how to play to it. So maybe uh, what they were doing with Joe Flacco the last four years, it wasn't entirely wrong, and it wasn't a matter of getting him back in the scheme. This is just who Joe Flacco is. Uh, he's a lower middle-tier quarterback at best and someone that you're not building around. Me, for one, I would rather let go of Joe Flacco 
And if you are trying to figure things out on Drew Locke and you're not drafting a young quarterback, fine. Just find yourself a true a bridge or a bridge, not a band aid that you're hoping hold up holds up a bridge with a pretty well defined endpoint, and that's where you get into the Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh McCown category, the guys that you're you're saying okay, they are only here for as long as it takes to get the young guy ready, not somebody that you're thinking oh he can be a two or three year solution. Is it uh, just a quick follow up there? Wouldn't it make more sense than just to, if that's the scenario? Just say, forget it. Maybe you bring one of those guys in as a backup to help Drew Locke learn how to be a, a an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. But really, just just give him just give him the reins. Let him let him drive. Right. Hand him the keys to the to the Pinto. Let him mm-hmm. uh, let him drive and and see if he can avoid the obstacles. And maybe he won't drive it into a brick wall. And if he does, then maybe you're still set up for Trevor Lawrence in 2021. I'd I'd be fine with that if. Just take your lumps. I, I'd be perfectly fine with, with doing that. If if you believe Drew Locke can be a long-term answer, yeah, you have a veteran just to kind of play CYA, but you, your intent is for Drew Locke to be the, court, the starting quarterback, and then you get him out there, and you find out whether he's something or nothing. And then if he's nothing, then you go back in the 2021 market. The problem is, uh, if you ha- let's say you have a, these guys, other than Trevor Lawrence, mostly turning pro in 2020, and let's also say that your defense plays as you expect it to next year, which is at a pretty high level. I think the defense is going to play so well next year, guys, that the floor for this team, even if the offense is just rancid, the floor might be 7-9 to nine for this team. Wow. Because the defense could be a top three defense from start to finish. And you do have promising skill players. You do have Portland Sutton uh, developing into a wide receiver one. You have Noah Fant showing flashes that I think he'll build on Next year, Philip Lindsay brings an explosive, explosive element out of the backfield. Point being, even with though, even with quarterback issues, you've got some tools, you've got some quality on this roster in certain spots to where it doesn't look like a team that's going to go four and twelve, even if it struggles at the quarterback position. That leads into the biggest question, aside from quarterback, that we touched on for our preview podcast with you, and that's. And still, the left tackle position. Oh. What what is the what is the state of the left tackle? And as as I said before, you came on. Are we on the countdown clock to Garrett Bowles' last game as a member of the Denver Broncos? I, I think the countdown has to be on at this point. I, if he does enough to earn a fifth year option, the Broncos picking up that option, I would be absolutely flabbergasted uh, stunned because that requires reversing the entire trend of the last 40 games that he's played or 41 games that he's played. So it would be a miracle if he pulled that off. You're going into a draft where it's pretty rich at tackle. You've got multiple options there. If you have a top 10 pick, and you've decided, okay, we're going to see what Drew Locke does, or we, or you figured out in the last five games that Drew Locke is your answer. The guys, the best case scenario here for this team is getting Drew Locke out there starting in Week 13. He proves that he's the guy. That opens so many other things up for this organization Agreed. because then you can go left tackle right there at the top ten, and you don't have to sacrifice future draft capital. Kind of the best case scenario for the Broncos, if, if I'm dreaming of one here, is Drew Locke gets out there in December, flourishes. You go left tackle in the top 10 next spring. You take some of that day two draft capital, turn that second round pick into a first rounder, and pick a Tyler Biotish out of Wisconsin. He's one of my favorite offensive linemen on the interior that I've seen come out in some time. So maybe you get a left tackle, you get an interior O lineman, he can be your center. You've re-signed Connor McGovern, kick him over to right guard. Uh, right tackle, you're just going to kind of hold your breath and hope that Jawan James stays healthy next year. Uh, with that uh, cap figure, that's pretty much what you have to do at this point. And then the receiver talent, it's so deep at wide receiver. I think you can find your vertical speed guy in round three. Uh, you might have been able to find him last year. They went for Draymond Jones instead of Terry McLaurin in round three. I think Draymond Jones is going to be a player, but at the same time, McLaurin, uh, for all the things going wrong with Washington, he's one of the things going right. But that's exactly the kind of receiver I think this team needs. 
someone who someone who can get down the field. He has four three five speed, uh, good good hands, good route running. Kind of the, that's the sort of receiver you're looking for to complement Cortland Sutton. I think Deshaun Hamilton and Tim Patrick are both going to get auditions, but they both look like they're more of the number three, more number four caliber receiver. You got to find number two. But if if you if that if Drew Locke is the guy, boy, it opens up so many other possibilities, and you could be talking about this team being back in the playoffs next year with all that. I mean, the typical base fashion. You ask him a, like a, a very small question, and boom. You know, you now know everything. I, I absolutely love it. This is great. <laughs> well, I, I, there is some optimism here. I, I for the for the first time in quite a while, I do I I can see a light at the end of the tunnel. But there are certain steps they have to take to move toward the light. Okay, so and that move, and that ties into actually playing Drew Locke and yes, not only playing him. You but practicing him. They have to make the decision to get him off of IR and to just practice him. Is there any indication on this Tuesday evening of the bye week that they will do that? I would be stunned if they don't do it next week. Okay. Even though Vic Fangio said, hey, uh, we're going to make that decision next week, every indication I've gotten is that they're going to start the clock on that next week if Brandon Allen plays well in this two-game road trip, they steal a win. They might delay getting him out there on the field. But if Allen comes back to earth against Minnesota and Buffalo, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does because it's a great feel-good story what Brandon Allen did on Sunday. But everything I saw from him in terms of uh, what he wasn't doing right, it was what was on the preseason film. Uh, you know, there were, you know, the accuracy issues because the footwork wasn't quite there. Saw that in the preseason, saw that in the game. He uh, he missed some throws that he could have easily had, even some of the completions. Uh, nice plays by Cortland Sutton, for example, uh, bailed him out. When the, when the Browns got, got some pressure, he looked a little bit uh, jittery and flustered in the pocket. There was a, a self-sack, and it wasn't the Peyton Manning kind of self-sack either. Um, and just was a, a, was a hair away from disaster. Uh, on that intercept, on that tip drill uh, interception in, in the backfield uh, in the second quarter. So, I think Mike Zimmer is going to have some things cooked up for Brandon Allen. I think Sean McDermott's going to have some things cooked up for him as well, and it's probably going to expose him a little bit in these two games. And then that, if that happens, it opens it up for Drew Locke to come in. And I think really, I, I've been I, everything I'd heard over the last month and a half, even when Joe Flacco was in there was pointing in the direction of that Charger game being the moment they get him out there. And that's when I think, I still think that's when it's going to happen is the Charger game. And that means getting him out there on the field next week. All right. I like so, that. I think I that's, hope, that's I hope, good. I hope that's how it works out. I hope, you know, plans do change, but every indication I've gotten is that uh, it's going to be next week. All right. Let's pray and hope that that happens. So, so we got one more thing we want to ask you about here. It was a conversation that you got into on on Twitter uh, with uh, Lori and Scotty and and some other people, mm-hmm. and it has to do with with when it's okay to root for a loss or be maybe not root for a loss. Like we never root for our team to lose, but to be okay. Scotty does. Scotty does. I think yes. I do think Scotty does. Uh, but when is it okay for you to be okay with a loss for your team? Is it? Is it okay right now for for Bronco fans to be okay with a loss? It is okay because you're rooting for victory in the end. You're rooting for winning the Super Bowl. And if losing right now gets you closer to winning the Super Bowl, gets you in position for a better draft pick, and if Drew Locke isn't the guy, gets you in position to have a better chance at a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow, if you know if though either of those guys can be the guy, then it's okay. It, winning is everybody's goal. Everyone in Broncos country wants to win. But the way I the analogy I made on our pot on our DNVR Broncos podcast on Tuesday morning is that sometimes you want kind of the sh- the short quick hit, the quick high. Yeah, that feels good. But wanting to win the Super Bowl means. You accept losing, and there's some delayed gratification. I'm a little bit of a delayed gratification guy. I'll tell you a story. There was one year 
where I got really busy around the holidays. The it was actually a 05 going 06. So the Broncos were 13 and 3. They went all the way to the AFC Championship game. I was pretty busy. They played a game on Christmas Eve. Uh, they played a game on New Year's Eve. The holidays were kind of blown up for me that year. So as a result, the gifts under my tree stayed there. And then I got into early January and I had a little bit of time. The Broncos want to buy. And I didn't want to open the gifts because I sort of enjoyed looking at the packages and not knowing what was in there and kind of delaying the gratification, extending the sort of the excitement. Oh, what's in there? What's in there? Uh, and knowing that, OK, at some point I'm going to I'm going to open them and it's going to be worth the wait. And it turned out it was. So I, that's why I look back and say I'm kind of OK with not winning right now if it opens the door to more winning down the road. And the other example I used on Twitter was the uh, 1988-89 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They win that last game in week 16 in, in 88, beat Detroit 21-10. You feel good. You got a couple wins at the end of the season. Yay. Then you're picking sixth instead of third. And the third pick is Barry Sanders. The fourth pick is Derek Thomas. The fifth pick is um, Deion Sanders. And a friend of mine who's a Bucks fan said, yeah, you know, the Bucks still might have screwed it up. But I, th I told him, no, probably not, because their coach at the time was an Alabama guy, and he would have taken Derek Thomas. So basically, you could have had Derek Thomas. Instead, you got broader Thomas, the lesser Thomas, because you won that game. So that's sort of where <laughs> I'm coming from on this. Sometimes you have some losses. and They'll never intentionally lose. The guys in uniform will never intentionally lose. So don't ever think about that. But as far as being a fan okay with losing, if it brings you toward a greater victory in the end, then that's wonderful. As San Antonio Spurs fans back in uh, the, the mid-90s uh, about how they feel about the 96-97 season when David Robinson was hurt and they I think they lose 61 games but lo and behold, they win the draft lottery and they picked Tim Duncan. I think they love those losses in retrospect. That's a great perspective on all of that. Mm -hmm. And I, the question that I have now for you is, what do you want to see from the Broncos over the last seven games? Because it, it, at this point, it, it's probably to the point that they're not going to be in that in that quarterback range unless mm -hmm. the wheels just fall off for Cincinnati and Miami and some of these other teams that win a few games that they shouldn't. And the Broncos just lose every game going forward. And I don't think that's going to happen, but what do you want to see from this team over the last seven games heading into this 2020 off season? Well, I want to see them get the, get closer to an answer on drew lock, whether he is a potential franchise quarterback, elite quarterback or not. And if you get if you find out that he's not, then whatever your record is, if they like Jake Fromm or Justin Herbert, for example, those two guys, and they feel like either one of them could be a franchise quarterback, then you do what it takes in the spring to get him, even if it means trading up, even if it means sacrificing future draft capital. Elsewhere, other than quarterback, I'd like to see the Broncos cross off at least one more future need on the roster like for example i think you could say nose tackle in the first four weeks of the season was a big big issue for this team like it, you might have to go get somebody well mike purcell could be a pretty good fit for what the broncos are trying to do you need him to cut the discipline penalties that's two 15 yard penalties in two games but you like the energy that he plays with remember a couple months ago when joe when you had struggles at inside linebacker they threw Corey Nelson out there. He clearly wasn't the answer, not even for a stopgap. Uh, Todd Davis and Josie Jewell were having uh, their issues. And you thought, okay, inside linebacker, this is something we've got to pick. we got to pick it high. We have Alexander Johnson. Alexander Johnson, the way he's playing, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he just crossed a need off the, off the shopping list for next spring. That's huge. So what else can you sh cross off the shopping list for 2020 if Deshaun Hamilton or Tim Patrick can find a groove down the stretch here can prove can be a viable number two receiver there's an item you can cross off the list right there so I'd like to see one of them emerge over the course of the next few weeks I would say I'd like to see Garrett Bowles find his form but I think the boat is sailing for Garrett Bowles I don't hold out any hope on that I think the boat is sinking Mace 
Yeah, that's probably a, a, a good, better way of putting it. So then I'd like to see the Broncos make sure that they don't have any other new needs pop up because of free agent departures. So it's re-sign some guys, re-sign Justin Simmons, m- mend the fences with Chris Harris Jr. and get him back in uniform. That, Based on the, the space the Broncos have under the cap, if they cut ties with Joe Flacco, they're looking at $78 million of cap space. You can afford to keep Simmons, keep Chris Harris Jr., keep Derek Wolf, keep Connor McGovern, especially I think if you can find a, a center in the draft and kick him over to a, a more natural position at right guard, although McGovern is fine at center if you have to ride him. And then you, you look to maybe if you have to go get the quarterback in the draft, maybe you look to free agency for a left tackle. A guy like Anthony Costanzo can be an a- answer for two or three years. Or if Drew Locke is the answer at quarterback, then you pick your left tackle early. But the point is, can you cross any more items off the shopping list? Because you've already done it with inside linebacker. You've already done it with nose tackle. I'd say you've already done it with kick and punt returner because of Deontay Spencer's emergence. So these are not needs that you're looking at going into the 2020 offseason, which is massive. So I'd watch Tim Patrick and Deshaun Hamilton to see if they can develop if one of them can be a viable receiver opposite of Cortland Sutton, then again, that's another need off the list. Makes it easier going to the offseason to target it. And every need you cross off the list, guys, brings you closer to getting back to where you want to be. I think if they, and then it all comes down to the quarterback. But again, I actually see things going in a positive direction to where, guys, I, not only would I not be surprised if the team is in the playoffs next year, I'd almost expect it. Wow. How about that? A mace bomb to end mace bomb the, to the end podcast the, segment. <laughs> I think I've that's got a, a, lot of com- a lot of confidence in what they've done. And, again, it's going to hinge on the quarterback. If they if they find the answer at quarterback one way or another, this team looks like it can be a playoff team next year. I love it. Got to love how to how – to, you end on, on a mace bomb, and we love it. Mace, thanks for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it, uh, as always, and you are always welcome here. My pleasure. You guys take care. Great to be on. Look forward to joining you again. Thanks, Mace. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos.